Good evening, Sterling. Oh, good evening, Sterling. Oh, that's better. Um, it's good to uh, be with you here this evening. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name's Joe. I'm the campus pastor out at the Ridge. And some of you might not even know who the, what the Ridge is. We are one church, but we are two sites. We, we meet in two different areas, and one of the places we meet is out in a little suburb called Sunny Ridge. And I have the wonderful privilege, and God has blessed me with an awesome little congregation of about 50-odd, um, where we get to meet every Sunday um, out there. So if you ever have something on in the evening and can't make it, uh, Pierre's warning me about stealing sheep. If you're ever in the evening and uh, can't make it, um, and just like the 8 doesn't suit you, that's too early, the 10's just too late, man, we meet at 9. Uh, so come through, pull in, it'll be great to have you there, and if you want to stick around and stay forever, that's okay too. Um, so, uh, but, <laughs> I'm just kidding, <laughs> but not kidding. Oh man, it's good to be here with you this evening. I, I don't all the time get into uh, the pulpit, but I get to hang out with you most Sunday evenings. Um, but it's just a privilege to unpack God's word with you. And I, I really sense there's a theme that's running uh, this evening of the Father's love drawing us in. And that's really what our, our whole passage and, and talk is on uh, this evening. So if you have your Bibles with you, you please open them up to the, the book of Luke. Chapter 15 is where we're going to be at. We're going to be looking at two sections. The first is chapter one in, uh, verses 1 and 2. Um, we're going to unpack, give us some sort of context, and man, the real section that we're going to be unpacking properly is um, verses 11 to 32, and I'll tell you how we're going to approach that when we get there. So verses 1 and 2, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, um, so if you have your apps, you can just swap over to that one, and it'll be easier to follow. Let's read, it says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. This is Jesus, drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So in this little text that we have here, these two verses, we find that there are two groups of people that are being mentioned. Um, there are the group that are notorious for their sin, and there's the group, uh, at least in the eyes of society, that are, uh, are notorious for their righteousness and, and their relig religiosity. And uh, so we have these two groups, and while we read that and hear of that, it might not necessarily stir up any emotions in us, um, but if you were reading Luke's gospel there at the time, these two groups might have stirred some emotion in you, depending on which group you found yourself in. Um, and the first group we see is tax collectors and sinners. Now, when we think of tax collectors in our day, we don't particularly like SARS. Um, we don't like the fact that they're taxes. I mean, when petrol price comes up, one of the things that we always talk about is how much tax is on petrol and how cheap it is actually in Botswana because they don't have the tax and they buy it from us, et cetera, et cetera. But, so we don't like tax collectors. But when we think of tax collectors in Jesus' day, man, it doesn't really bring much up. We think of Zacchaeus, maybe. If you grew up in church, he was a wee little man, and, and uh, I don't actually know how it went. Uh, he, anyway, don't worry about it. He was a wee little man, and he saw Jesus, and he said, come, I'm coming to your house today. Hey. Um, and so there's like a whole song and everything. Um, and, but when we think of him, he's this cute little guy that climbed a little a, a tree so they could see Jesus. And why did people really dislike him? Like, yeah, I mean, he, he took, he, when he was meant to take 20 bucks, he took 30 bucks, and he pocketed the rest for himself. And when we think of tax collectors, that's what we normally think, but that's just not who they were. They were extremely disliked. And I, see, I think you can see that in the text, that they are separated, and, uh, and there is a, a tension brought to that, the fact that they were there above every other sinner. 
that was there. Tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> they, were, they were hated. They were singled out because of who they were. And the reason really behind it is because of who they worked for. They worked for Rome, who were the superpower of the day. They ruled the known world. They had, had a, a territory that was vast, um, from pretty much from modern-day England to India is uh, the area that they ruled, massive. And trying to govern an area that big is just something difficult to do, even in, in modern-day times. But if in our day, if a, a nation had to rise up against a superpower, man, well, all you do is get out the briefcase and push the red button and kaboom, things are done. It's over. You send some jets, some drones, and, and they sort it out quickly. But in their day, it was extremely difficult. How do you govern such a big land? If there was a, a nation that rised up against you uh, on the other side of your territory, it would take about a year for your army to get there. So it's just, it's just difficult because now they've bought uh, forts. They're, they're strong. It's difficult to fight. It's just not something you can easily do. And, and so how do you govern such a big land? You need a massive army. And how do you pay for this massive army through taxes? Pay for their weapons, their food, their clothing, their wages, etc. You had to tax heavily the nations to afford such a thing. But not only did you have to have a massive army that was just there in presence, but this army had to be brutal, and Rome was. They were extremely brutal. His, history tells us of a, a particular situation where a nation or a city had rised up against Rome. Rome marched their soldiers into the city, crucified 20,000 men, women, and children out of every street and road entering the city so that visitors, as they came and visited the city and wanted to trade inside, would go back to their nations and say, we better not do anything. They would rape your wives and your daughters. They would kill your sons and your husbands, and they would pillage everything. They were vast and disgusting and horrendous. And tax collectors were your mates that grew up down the road who you played with as kids, who you had over around your uh, dinner table, who you shared your cornflakes with. And now suddenly they would take their money, their own money, and buy the right to be a tax collector to work for them, to work for Rome, who did that to your friends, to your family, to your neighborhood, to your nations. They were traitors. This is why they are singled out. They are horrible. But in a part of this group as well, we have a group called sinners. Now, if you grow up in church, this might not necessarily stir up any emotion in you because we say, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners, which while that is true, but in Jesus' day, the sinners were also a class of people. It included the prostitutes and the adulterers and um, the drunkards, etc., etc. It included those who weren't a part of any religious affiliation. But it also included a group of people that might not necessarily have been sinners. And those were those who were deformed in, in any form. Um, if you were lame, if you were deaf, if you were dumb, um, if you were blind, you were considered a sinner in Jesus' day, r wrongly for it. But their, their thinking was, you are in this position because of either your sin or your parents' sin, and God is punishing you. And so immediately we have this group of people who have been outcast and pushed out by society and labeled sinners, either because of what they've done or because of their physical appearance. So this is our first group. Now, the second group is the complete opposite. They, the religious elite of the day, they're the politicians, they lead the nation, they are people who have serious influence, and they called the Pharisees and scribes. Now, Pharisees were hardcore. 
I mean, they were seriously, seriously, seriously hardcore. To become a Pharisee, you had to have memorized the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Memorized it. Memorized it. Can we, this, can we be honest this, this evening? This is a safe space. When we've done our yearly reading plan, and we've, op- and we've opened up, and we've gone through Leviticus and, and to Numbers. How many of us go, never mind, I'll go Matthew 1. <laughs> Open up the gospel. We can't even read it. And these guys memorized. These guys were hardcore. They prayed more than you and I pray. They fasted more than you and I fast. They were seriously strict. I mean, God gave 600 odd laws in which we have to follow. And yet they went and added extra laws on top of that just in case to obey it. So take the rule of the Sabbath, for example. They went, well, that we mustn't work on a Saturday. And so for them, what they would go and do is they went, what's work? Maybe it's walking too far. If we walk too far, that would be considered work. So they would count their steps to make sure that they did not work, walk too far on a Saturday and therefore walk. These guys were hardcore. Man, you can have your what would Jesus do bracelet. Your every shirt you can own can have Jesus written on it. But these guys are far more awesome and hardcore than any of us. But having said that, they were self-righteous chops, to put it lightly. And they hated the other group, and they were part of the reason that most of that group never came to know Christ. They pushed them away from God rather than draw them in. And so they see Jesus, this teacher, teaching about the gospel, teaching about the kingdom, and they are coming in and hearing about God, hearing hope, hearing love, and they grumble and they're angry. And it's with this in mind that Jesus breaks out into a parable. And we're going to look at a part of it in 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 in. in Verse 11. So keep that in mind because it's important that we have that as we unpack this to know what the hearers are hearing, who they are, and what they're potentially feeling as Jesus speaks about it. Verse 11. Uh, we're going to read a bit and then I'll stop and we'll chat and we'll read some more and stop and chat, etc., etc. Verse 11 says this And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took it into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out uh, to one of the citizens of that country who, went, uh, who sent um, him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to feed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. So here we've got this young man who's extremely confident that he knows what life is all about. He is confident that if he gets some money, man, he would be able to live the best life now, what life is meant to be, and he just wants it. So he goes to his father and he asks him for a share of his inheritance, which he would have received when his father died. Now, the text doesn't say it, but my assumption is, being a dad, that if your son comes and asks you something dumb like this, you say no a couple of times. That the conversation probably went, Dad, give me my inheritance, and it was no, and no, and no, 
and no, until his ear was chewed off that he went, fine, go. And I want us to notice here that the father is gracious in letting his son go that he would tire himself out. Because the dad doesn't have to say yes, right? He can say no. Like, get back to your room. Like, you can't get to speak like that. No, get back to your room. Go out and plow with your older brother before I plow you. Like, no. I'm not giving you anything. But the, the father is gracious that he sends out his son with the hope that he will tire himself out so that he would one day come back. And may I say, this is how God responds to us. Man, there are, there are moments in our lives where we ask for things and God says no, or we pursue after things we know we shouldn't because we desperately want it. And in grace, the Father does not stop us, but allows us to go so that we might realize that the thing we are pursuing is not what we need, but rather we need the Father. That he, he allows us to chase after that girl or that guy that you desperately want, even though they're leading you down paths you should not go because he wants you to realize someone, does, someone doesn't satisfy you, God does. That the things you're pursuing after, the lifestyle you want, the dreams that you have, they are not what he wants for you, but you need to go and figure that out for yourself that they will not satisfy And when you eventually find yourself, and eventually you will, because people fail you, people disappoint you, money disappears, it's not everything. When you find yourself in the pit with the pigs longing for its food, maybe you'll come to your senses. And in hope, you'll return back to him. In grace, he allows us to go. Haven't you ever wondered, Lord, how am I here? How did I get to this point? I've done things that I shouldn't. How am I here? It was by the grace of God and his love towards you that he lets you go. And he lets his son go off into the distance to a far country to live the so-called dream that he thinks is better without the father. Now, I want us to stop here for a moment and think, how are the listeners, the audience hearing this? Who does this appeal to? Who's understanding this um, message? Who resonates with it? The tax collectors and sinners, right? They've been told their whole lives that they're useless, that they, they're nothing, that they're far from the Father, they're far from God. And so they are hearing this message and they're probably asking themselves questions like, what do I need to do in order to be made right with the Father? How can I come back to him? I find myself where this young son is. What does he do that I can do as well? On the other end, you probably got the Pharisees who are loving it, licking their lips as they hear Jesus going hard after the younger son. So give it to them, Jesus. Give them a list of things that they need to do. So have that in mind as, as we read this next section. It goes like this. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and he came to his father. There are two things here that the son does that we need to do if we want to be restored to the father. And and the listeners need to do in order to be restored to the Father. And the first one is that he came to himself. Man, there needs to be a point in every Christian's journey 
that before we can become Christian, that we need to realize that there's nothing else that we need other than God. Nothing else satisfies, nothing else comes and offers us life. None of that is what we need, but rather what we need is the Father. So this is where we see the first step for the younger son. The second one is that he goes to the Father. There's a a turning away from the old self, the old life, the pursuit after reckless living, turning away from that and deciding to go back. This is what repentance is. Repentance is seeing God and seeing that that's all you need. He is your savior. He is what you need. And then he's turning away from that and saying, Lord, I do not want that, but rather what I want is you. And so what we see is the younger son starts to journey back home. And that's the spiritual application that we have to have is that if you find yourself with where the younger son is, man, you first need to come to your senses that the life that you're pursuing is not what you need. You need the father. And then you need to turn away from the past and start pursuing and going after him. And so let's, um, let's look at the next section because the next sections are about to get a little crazy. Um, verse, verse 20, it says this. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father uh, saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is, is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is scandalous grace. This is absolutely scandalous that the father would act in such a manner. Let's remember who the son is. Man, he has come to his dad and says, give me the inheritance that you, I would have gotten when you are dead because essentially you're dead to me. Give that to me so that I can go into another country far away from you so that I never have to see you again so that I can live the life that I want. And when he does so, he brings this honor to the father. He just brings honor to the family name and he squanders it all. In foolishness and idioticacy, idiocy, that word, he, he spoils it all because he's a fool. He comes to his senses in a pit with a pig and he slithers his way back home. And what does the father do? He sees him far away off, which suggests that the father had been constantly looking out for one day when his son would come home. Man, it could be months, if not years, that the son was gone. And and here he sees him coming down a hill. He notices him. He's been praying and longing that he would come home. That's what we're speaking about this uh, this evening. Man, the, the father is calling you in. He sees you. And he sees this silhouette from a far distance. And what does he recognize? That's my son. And he starts to run. Now, for us, it means nothing, but in a Jewish day, men did not run at all. It was undignified. But for the father, he doesn't care about dignity at this moment. His son's coming home. And so he sprints and runs and embraces him and kisses him. Where has he just been? In a pigsty. 
He's got no money. He hasn't, he's got no place to stay. He hasn't had a shower. He hasn't shaved. He's not, he's not smelling great. He stinks. But the father doesn't care. And for Jew and pigs, that just didn't go down well. He doesn't care. Compassion and love for him, it, it, does, it just releases him into a place where he would hug him and kiss him all over. Because he's son. When his son breaks out into his prepared speech, we, we find ourselves in that situation regularly, hey? When we've done something that we shouldn't have done and we know we bust, but not bust yet, we kind of get ourselves and our story all straight. Let's say this and let's say this and maybe I can get out of tr- trouble. And here the son arrives and he starts his prepared speech and he breaks into Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be one of your sons. And before he can go on to ask to be a hired servant, the father has enough of that story. Man, get him a robe. Get him a ring. Let's let's kill the fat and cast. We're going to have steak tonight, man. We're going to party. We're going to celebrate. Because my son was lost and he's alive. He was dead and now he is alive. Man, this is awesome. He's here. What I love about this is the father doesn't allow retribution to happen to his son. Man, saying, y'all, you better work this out. You better serve for a while before you can come back into the fold. There's none of that. The father takes it upon himself. The father comes and says, he has my robe. Put it on him. He has my ring. Put it on him. My robe symbolizes my cleanliness. The ring symbolizes authority and sonship. Let's celebrate and let's party. And friends, you might find yourself a long way off, but the call of God is to come as you are, and he has dealt with it. There's no price to pay because it's already been paid. The father has sent his son Jesus, and Jesus came, and he died for us on the cross so that we don't have to pay anything. Man, it cost a lot, but it cost us nothing. What scandalous grace that is. And this call is to come home, not as a slave, not as a servant man, but as a son, as a daughter of the living God. Absolute scandalous grace. And here is God calling you home. Come into the folds. No matter how far off or where you are, he is calling you in. He loves you and he will embrace you in all your filth and make you clean. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And he will rejoice in it. It's not like, a, okay, we can bring Bryce in. No, man, it's rejoicing. There's a party. He's, he, he's so overwhelmed that he ran. Like there's, he's kissing and hugging. There's, there's a party that takes place with steak. It's good times. And he will rejoice when you come home. Man, if God can rejoice when Paul is saved, man, he rejoices when you are. Paul, also known as Saul, um, he ravaged the church. Acts 8 tells us about how Paul ravaged the church. He, he killed and he murdered. He, he, he persecuted the church because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And in, in Galatians 1 verse 16, Paul says these mind-blowing words. He says that God was pleased to reveal his son to him. That before this Paul or, or the Saul who was killing members of the faith because they believed in Jesus, trying to end it. God, before he gave it, there was emotion inside of him that 
pleased him to save him. And man, as you consider this calling of coming back to the Father, man, the Father is pleased to reveal Christ to you. He wants you in the fold. He will rejoice at you coming back. Not as a side thing, but as a son and as a daughter of the living God. Incredible, scandalous grace. And love is the motivation behind it all. Love for you. Now, as the hearers hear this story being unpacked, they're probably expecting it to end here. And the reason for that is because, well, some commentaries and and theologians will suggest that the whole of chapter 15 is actually one long parable. We see it in verse 3. It says, and Jesus told them this parable, and he tells one big parable in three different ways. And uh, the first way that he, he tells it is that he tells of this man that had a hundred sheep and he loses one. And uh, what happens is he goes out to find it. And as he finds it, uh, he brings it back. There's loads of rejoicing. He calls his friends in. And what do they do? They throw a party and celebrate. Now, in the next story, what happens is there's a widow who has 10 silver coins. She loses one. She can't find it. So what she does is she cleans the house. She searches diligently until she finds it. She rejoices. She calls her friends. And what do they do? They celebrate. In this story, we have a son. A father has two sons. He loses one. One is found. He rejoices. He calls everyone together, and they celebrate. So, man, this has followed the pattern of the previous two, and everyone's expecting it to end here. But again, I I want to say that who's taken a hammering so far in the telling of these parables? Out of those two groups, who has felt loved and who might not necessarily feel loved? The tax collectors and sinners feel great. God's love is drawing them in. But the Pharisees right now might be angry and seriously annoyed by what's going on. They've taken a bit of a beating by Jesus' parables. But it doesn't end there, and that's because here Christ wants to show the extension of grace even to the religious, self-righteous elite. And so let's carry on reading here in, um, in verse 25. It says this, Now his oldest son was in the field, and he came and drawn near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. Now, there are parties, and then there are party parties. Like, you've been to a party before, but you've also been to a party party before, right? Now, this here, the celebration of this younger son coming home is a party party. Now, look, here, the older son is in the field, and what does he do? He comes home of a hard day's worth of work, and he hears what? Music and dancing. He hears dancing. Like, man, these guys are hoing it. There is a proper party. Before he sees them and sees the dancing, he hears them dancing. There is some proper celebration going on here. And the, son, the older son hears it and sees this commotion. And, and what does he do? He, we will see in verse 26, he says, And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your, your brother has come and your father has, your, uh, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. So, the younger son, instead of going to the father, which was obviously the proper thing to do, he goes to a servant and says, man, what's happening inside there? 
And he says, no, your, your younger brother's come back. He's safe and sound. And so your father is throwing this, this big party uh, for him. And, and they're celebrating his safety and his return because they thought he was dead. But now he's alive. And, and what does the older brother do is he becomes angry and bitter about this and refuses to go inside. Now, might I just say, like, who's suffering here? Not the younger brother and the father. Who's suffering is the older. I mean, they're having fun inside. It's, it's the older brother who suffers as a result of his refusal to go in. But there's a warning here for us. The warning is as we as a church want to uh, fill the city of East London with the glory and gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that there is going to be a time when there are people who are going to get saved who we might not necessarily like. And it might cause anger and bitterness and not rejoicing. You might say to me, Joe, we're like that, man, that's crazy. Why would that ever happen? Well, just put ourselves in the younger brother's shoes, I mean, the older brother's shoes for a moment. He wasn't, it wasn't the father who had uh, only been hurt in the situation. So is the older brother. I, I can just imagine, like, if I had, I, I'm an only child, um, but hey, turn off. I was gonna take, can you tell? <laughs> But I'm, I'm only shot, so I don't have any, uh, actually I have two stepsisters, but they came on when I was like 18 and 20. So uh, I count them as my family, but I didn't grow up with, with any, any siblings. Um, but I can just imagine if I had a brother, man, we would be mates. Like we would kick balls around together. We would have fought, like fun fighting and real fighting. There would have been some like really cool stuff that happened and lots of bonding that took place. We would have... There would have just been this relationship. So do you realize that what the older, younger brother does is not an only a discarding of the father, but also discarding of the son, the, old, uh, the older son? Man, he's been hurt by this too. And, and not only that, man, he's gone and dishonored his family's name when he's gone out and done all those things. He's been affected. And, and maybe even his, um, what he's going to receive is his inheritance has been affected by his younger brother taking out a lot of chunk of money early. So he's bitter and cross. He's also upset of what's happening. You can maybe understand that the younger, uh, you can understand the older brother's uh, uh, reaction to the younger son coming home. And there might be people in your life that have hurt you drastically. Maybe a business partner, a partner that took absolutely everything, took you to the cleaners, left you and your family with nothing, and now he has lost everything and comes to know Christ. There might be a bitterness in your heart, but the call here in this, in this parable is to rejoice. It might be an ex-spouse that had multiple affairs and, and left you heartbroken and also your children. Maybe they come to know Christ. The, the call of, the, of this passage is to rejoice and not be bitter. See, what bitterness does and anger does, it keeps us outside of the party. We don't get to enjoy and experience all that the Father has for us as we get cross and upset with others. And the call here is to lay that aside and rejoice and be in all that the Father has for you. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. So that's taking place. And let's see what else. He refuses to go in and let's see what else happens um, here. And his father came out and entreated him. 
But he answered his father and said, he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for, the, for this is your brother, uh, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I love the, the father's attentiveness to all his sons here. It might have been, it would have been, I mean, excusable, if you will, if he had forgotten about his older brother, his older son, just for a moment. That as he was in the midst of jumping around and uh, singing and, and dancing and celebrating his younger son being home back for, for many years, he thought he was dead, now he's alive. Just for a few hours as he was doing that, he might have forgotten that his older son was out in the field or was not there. But yet the father's eyes are not only looking to see the younger son walk down that hill so that he might see him home, but his father's eyes are also attentive to the older one. He's seen him out of a window or a door, seen that he's pouting and upset and cross. And what does he do? He goes out and he treats the man. Come in. Begs him, pleads, come and, come and be part of the party. And there's another warning for us here as we seek to see the city of East London filled with the gospel and glory of Jesus, that we are naturally, our tendency is to rejoice and get excited about uh, the prostitutes and the drug lords and the drunkards and adulterers all coming to know Christ. Man, and, that's, and that's right, and we should rejoice, but there is a tendency where we can also look at the self-righteous and smug and be judgmental. And the call here from the Father, and the love of the Father is not only to reach out those who are far off, but also those who are just outside, the self-righteous as well. He goes and he entreats him. him. But, but look at this. Look at the um, re- request that the um, older brother makes in, in verse 9. In verse 29, sorry. It says, it says this. Um, and he said to his father, look, at, look, these many years I have served you, or I have slaved for you, is the imagery there, and I have never disobeyed your command. That's, that's just probably a lie. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate for my friends. He, he goes, man, you look what you've done for him. I, I've served you. I've done for these things, and you've never given me a young goat. I mean, like, that's an odd request, isn't it? A goat. I mean, he didn't say boat. He said goat. He wants a goat. And this is what self-righteous does. Self-righteousness lets us settle for something that is far less than what the Father wants to give us. When we think that, man, we can do this God thing, getting to know him in our own ability, in our own strength, by our own goodness, by our lifestyle, by our reading of the word, by our coming to church, rather than depending on the sacrifice of Christ, is that we settle for far less than what the Father wants to give you. We, we want goats, but we get nothing. But really what the Father is saying to this self-righteous son 
is everything that I have is yours. Come in and enjoy it. See, because while the younger son was far off in a distant country and it was easy to tell that he was not there to enjoy all that the father has, the older son is right there, but just not there. And the call, loving call of the father is come in and enjoy it all. It is all yours. It is all yours. This is the scandalous grace of the father towards you. We've been talking this evening about, man, come, the father is calling you. And maybe that's you this evening. You either find yourself in one or two of these categories. We either quite easily know that we are the, the, um, the uh, tax collectors or sinners, the younger brother that's far off. Man, the love of the father is he's looking for you to acknowledge that you need him and come home. And he will run and embrace you, a crown, put a, a ring on your finger, a robe around you, a shoe, and he will celebrate with joy. But the call as well is for the self-righteous. Maybe if you had to be asked that simple question, if you had to stand before God today, why, what would you say to let him into him say that he should let you into heaven? And if you had to say, man, it's because I'm a good person, while you might not have been extreme as the Pharisees or the younger brother, you find yourself in the self-righteous act area. It's not a depend on your works, but rather on Christ's. But the call as well is to come in, enjoy him, Enjoy all that the Father has for you for the glory of Christ. So let's, let's bow our heads. Man, and which, which, what is God saying to you this evening? What is he saying to you? Man, are you the, the younger son? He's calling you home, or are you the, the older brother? Maybe you are in the party enjoying it already. Just thank him for it. Live in the love and grace that the Father has extended to you. But if you are the, if you feel, man, I, I feel like the younger son. I need some grace. I just need God to bring me home. Would you, would you just mind just raising your hand? I'd love to pray for you. It's not like any extra special voodoo. See that hand, thank you. Just so I know who to pray for. Maybe you are the older brother. And you're just going, man, Joe, I've been trying to do this in my own strength for, for way too long. I'm, I'm try, I feel beaten up. I feel like I've done so much myself. But there's no joy. There's no life. I want all that the Father has for me. Would you mind popping up your hands so I could pray for you as well? I see some hands. Thank you. Lord, I, I am incredibly grateful for your great love towards us. So scandalous. So undeserving. How is it that we are so blessed with the God that would love us so much? We thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, I, I thank you for those that this evening who have realized that they find themselves in a bit of a pit. The life and everything that it has to offer is just false, but what they need is you. Lord, would you, would you run and embrace them? Would they feel your love this evening? Would they come home and enjoy you? Lord, I, I pray for 
for those who are, are struggling with doing everything themselves. There's no joy. They've tried it their own way, but rather they want to depend on the Father and all that he has. Lord, might they find a peace in you this evening. Might they find some rest in you and the joy of the Father. May they experience it all, Lord. Lord, I pray for those of us who do know you, who have come home, who are in that party, but just might just be finding things a little tame and boring. Lord, that we would let aside everything and enjoy all that you have to offer. Might we be a people that are characterized by joy. May our meetings just be joyful. May our lives be joy, even in the midst of suffering, we pray. We thank you for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you wanted some more prayer, if you raised your hand this evening and you wanted to come and chat to us, we would love to do that um, and lead you maybe through a process. That's cool. We also have hot chocolate outside and some coffee. If you're a guest, there's a special guest corner for you. Enjoy some biscuits. And invite some mates next week for next week's sermon.